to The Third Wheel, Episode 3 of The Dragon Reborn. Uh, today we're going to talk about chapters 19 through 27. It took us a minute, but we're here. Uh, I'm Tyler, returned from the grave. I'm Beyond, slightly less congested. And I'm Jesse, in a new place all the way across the country. Yeah, we've had some topsy-turvy times the past month or so but we'll be back in there we back in there we're all alive we're all improved as people uh as friends as hosts (laughs) co-hosts no i don't think we've improved as hosts in the month we haven't been hosting that's true i we're only like a minute in and i can feel that i've gotten worse yeah me too Maybe we'll shake um, the rust off with some decent chapters in this cha- in this section. Yeah, maybe Beyond can cook us a feast. I'll just feed you some beef juice, and by that I mean awful, disgusting beef tea for invalids. Is beef tea different from beef broth? Yes. See, that's what I said. It is distinctly different. Um, beef tea is where you take meat and you cut it into cubes, and then you pour a disproportionate amount of hot water over it with a hint of salt. You're literally infusing water with beef. Beef broth, on the other hand, uses aromatics and beef bones and other sorts of tasty things, so it actually is drinkable and it looks pretty and it makes a nice clear broth. Ever since Beyond read this section, they won't stop talking about beef tea. Well, I just found it interesting that they actually referenced beef tea because it's a legit thing that I'm guessing this world, based on their technology and whatnot, would be eating. I disagree with the statement that sweetbreads are fed to invalids, though, because sweetbreads are really yummy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, and people that are sick should be punished. (laughs) No, it's just, I mean, I guess I could understand it because it's awful, which means it's organ meat, so it, um, is full of all the vitamins and minerals that people need. But to disdain sweetbreads, I don't know. I don't think I can agree with Matt on this. I mean, it's not I like do Matt appreciate... just had his tonsils out. He can chew. <laughs> yeah, he needs as much. I mean, the broth is fine, but like, you know, you need some some meat. Yeah, We're going to talk about how he's a magically hungry boy. Yes. He's very hungry. Big hunger for big boys. I guess we should get started then. Chapter 19, Awakening. Here we go. First Matt chapter. Yeah. The it's rest time. of this the rest of this book, I sleep. Awakening. Awake. <laughs> I awaken at awakening. Uh so Matt wakes up in a fancy bed under an unfamiliar ceiling. Speaking of Evangelion references. He has no idea where he is or what's going on. His memory is full of holes. He can remember some stuff, but it must have been a dream because there's no way that, like, the Horn of Valir and this dagger and there was just all sorts of weird stuff going on. Yeah, he must have been really high. Yeah. High on that ruby, if you know what I mean. Bad trip. (laughs) Pretty bad trip, I would say. In a, on a variety of levels, On a actually. variety of levels. It was a bad trip. Yeah. So he is muttering to himself in the old tongue during this, and is having interspersed memories of being someone else in a completely different time and place. Yeah. 
I just want to say that Matt's perspective immediately feels distinct. Yeah. Like, he's the, so casual. I know. I love I love it. Like I I had this line highlighted like where he's trying to figure out where he is and he says, "Somewhere rich then, somewhere with money." But his head was empty of the where and the how and a lot more besides. And I have to say just when I start reading Matt, I realize that Robert Jordan can write entertaining perspective. He just chooses not to a lot. Imagine a trio of Matt's. Oh my god. Would anything get done? No. Yeah. Dicing. <laughs> bouncing girls on your knee. Plump girls on your knee. <laughs> that are good for a cuddle. Good for a cuddle. Um, nobody would be a bloody hero. <laughs> That's like three whole things that would get done. But I mean, it's just, you feel it immediately when you start reading these chapters. Yeah. He's very different from anybody else if rand wasn't so like weight of the world all the time like when he forgets that he gets closer to it and you can almost see how these two were friends but like nobody else is anywhere close to matt being matt everyone else is so serious yeah and matt walks around his room absentmindedly eating trying to figure out where he is yeah um, he sees himself in a mirror, and he's, like, wasted and desiccated. Um, How'd that happen? How'd that happen? I don't know. Must have been one of those dreams. Oof. Tough dreams, you know what I mean? <laughs> Luckily, someone's left enough food for five people to eat, and he is, like, absentmindedly eating it, and then realizes that it's all gone. Yeah. I, I actually really like the way his voracious eating is portrayed. Mm-hmm. So, I have to look out for myself, he said angrily. He upended the wine pitcher over his silver cup and surprised to find it empty. So he's just like muttering to himself, getting angry and eating until it's all gone. Tyler's giving me a very strong look right now, and that's because I am very relatable to that. (laughs) Yeah. Also, there's a line where Matt's thinking about Rand. He says, even if he knew the answers, he could do nothing to help Rand. He was not sure he would if he could. And yeah, that definitely stuck out to me. I'm not sure what he means. Like, is this him abandoning being good friend Matt? I mean, at least for the time being, he did just wake up in somewhere. Everything's all topsy-turvy. Is part of the dreams learning that Matt... Blah, 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 that Rand could channel? Because I mean, the dreams is just that he doesn't remember anything since he picked up the dagger. Okay. He remembers like bits and pieces bits and pieces yeah. of it yeah like some stuff is less dreamlike and some stuff is just gone but like his memory is just swiss cheese so he probably just has the emotional response of fear confusion disgust then and that might be why yeah i mean we have seen matt before have moments where his initial response to rand being able to channel is very much a like cool you sleep over there, I'm going to sleep far away. But then as soon as, like, when they come out of the portal stone, his first response is like, hey, dude, we're cool, right? Like, I I wouldn't betray you. Yeah, but right now he's in a tough spot. He's also, insert comment about him not being a bloody hero, and he's like Suan's uncle. Like, I think he very much says one thing, and his morals guide him to do another. We haven't gotten to Suan's uncle yet. But we're going to in this section, so it's not a spoiler. <laughs> he does figure out that he must be in Tarvalin, 
he tries to think about how he's going to outmaneuver the Aes Sedai to get out of here, because if he's in Tarval, then they must want him here, which means they're not going to let him leave. Well, he doesn't realize that he's bound to the horn. He sort of vaguely remembers that he blew the horn, but he doesn't realize that that's a reason why the Aes Sedai would want to keep him sort of in custody. Correct, yes. You are totally right. There is a great bit in here where he talks about, like, I wouldn't want the dagger back for me. I just want the ruby. Yeah. Well, he's like, if I could sell it to the Coplins and take their farm, then A, that would screw over the Coplins. But B, like, that would give me the biggest farm. But, you know, there are bigger dreams to have than the biggest farm. It's just very... Yeah, it's a cool moment for his character. Yeah. You just sort of realize that at one point, all he wanted was genuinely to have a farm that made other farmers jealous. Yeah. But now he's like, I don't know, maybe I could take over the world or something. (laughs) Yeah, so he realizes... I have a note in here that says he realizes about the horn, which means I think he does it before anybody tells him about it. Well, I have the line. He, he like, remembers vaguely. I blew the horn of Valir. Softly, he whistled a bit of a tune and then cut it short, which is very Matt. Yes, very much. Um, There's a knock at the door, and he tries to escape and then realizes he's too weak to even really get up. And so the person just walks in for chapter 20, Visitations. The woman is this lady named Celine. Everyone's favorite girl. What a new character. (laughs) And we finally get to complete the circle when Matt thinks, for a moment, he wished that Rand, whatever he had become, or even Perrin, (laughs) were there to advise him. They always seem to get get on well with women. Which, we finally have the third side of the triangle. Yes. It's complete. Finally. They're so awful. (laughs) I mean... Save your comments about how they deal with women for later. When things get tough. When shipping happens. Oh, there's a lot of shipping. You know, because they're going to tears. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Selena's here. She's trying to convince him that he should work with her instead of with the Aes Sedai. And <laughs> she mentions glory at one point, And Matt's like, did somebody say glory? <laughs> like, it works way better on him than it ever worked on Rand. I think she says something to the effect of, like, yeah, I figured you would be the one that it worked on. <laughs> Which is pretty great. I love that it's just instantly he's like, I don't want glory. And then his internal monologue's like, glory, huh? The girls <laughs> will like get that. me a piece of that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe then girls will like me as much as they like Rand and Perrin. Matt feels definitely the most human of them. Not that they're not human, the the other two guys, but um, at least compared to we, the readers, at least. I don't know. I've never particularly felt like Perrin or Rand and their perspectives on the world. Whereas Matt, I think we, or at least a lot of people, can relate to the just casual awfulness. (laughs) I mean, his perspective definitely feels more alive and dynamic than other characters. He's just way more fun to read. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's also not an idiot in these sections, which is surprising. We'll get to it. Yeah, he has a lot of thoughts about, like, actually trying to outmaneuver people. 
so during this conversation, uh, Matt asks Celine if she's a dark friend, and she says, no, I am not one of those people that follows Baalzaman in exchange for power. That's a pretty specific definition to disagree with. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. She's not lying. I mean... Question mark, question mark, question mark. Question mark. It's just, it's one of those things where you, like, pick up on, is this person projecting? Because you asked them a question, and they clarified it in a way that you didn't mean. Which is a very Aes Sedai thing to do, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, like... Beyond, do you know if we still have any cheese left in the fridge? And you would yell, like, I didn't need any of that special cheese you were saving. Like, didn't ask that. Thanks for defending yourself. Let's me know what's on your mind. Uh, great to know about Celine that, like, she is specifically saying, no, she is not that. Like, her definition of dark friend is different from his definition. Yes. Yeah, it's telling that she chooses to define it. As such, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Language choices are important for the characters. Yeah, and letting slip that the Forsaken aren't these, like, perfect beings of immaculate manipulation. Oh god, they're really not. Oh god, they're really not. Very emotionally responsive. They're so dumb. (laughs) Oh my god, they're all so dumb. Oh yeah, side note. Since the last time that we've recorded, I have gotten all the way through Fires of Heaven, and I'm two-thirds of the way through Lord of Chaos. And oh my god, the Forsaken are dumb. Why do all those titles sound so edgy? Because they are. The fires of heaven! Oh, because they are. And Lord of Chaos. Uh, Crown of Swords. That's a good one. Um, Crossroads of Twilight. Path of Daggers. Path of Daggers. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) A Memory of Light. This seems like a kid who wears an all-black trench coat to middle school. You haven't even gotten to them wearing the (laughs) all-black trench coats. (laughs) Oh my god, they really haven't. Is is their uniforms black trench coats? Yeah. Of course they are. Well, you just don't know the they yet. Yeah. But yes, there is a group whose uniform is just a black trench coat. Just gone to middle school. Kinda. Actually. Gonna play games with their other friends. Anyway. Continuing. Back to Celine. Yeah, don't worry, we'll talk about them a lot. Uh, Back to Celine. So she tells Matt that his and Rand's dads were in the White Tower looking for them. And they were basically told, I don't know, anyway, bye. And sent away. With a Uh, bit of money. Yeah. At least they gave them money. Uh, Celine insists that Matt remember that he has choices he is allowed to make and that he doesn't need to be manipulated. Uh, she reaches out to clearly try and use the power on him, and then something spooks her, and she turns around and leaves. And then she's gone. Whoa. Matt goes to check on his things to see, make sure everything's there. He's gathering his stuff to try and get ready to leave. And then uh, the Omerlin and the Keeper show up, and they're like, no, 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 yeah. my dude. It's funny, he talks about he grabs his dice case 
and he thinks uh, with these, his two marks would become enough money to take him far away from Tarvalon. Which just makes me think that if I had magical cheaty powers, and I could just gamble my way around the world, paying my way, that sounds like the chillest life of all time. So I get why I mean, Matt just wants to lay low. Well, he... I don't even know that he has magical cheating powers yet. I think he's just, like, a cheater right now. <laughs> Is this the chapter where they talk about his dad being, like, really good at deals? Uh, maybe? It was either this one or the last one. Because he talks about how his dad always gets the best deal. Yeah, I think that was the last one. Okay. Yeah, we got but a lot no, of I hints think... that, like, a lot of the people from Eamon's Field are strangely badass in everything they do yeah we'll get to much more of that in a minute but yeah i definitely have a feeling that matt's take on him and his dad getting quote-unquote the best deals is very much a um not to reference naruto but i'm about to reference naruto the um, first part of the tuning exams where it's a written test that nobody can complete on their own except sakura not relevant point is where it's like the intent is that you are good enough at cheating and if nobody catches you at cheating then that just means you're better like the point is not that i don't know i'm not trying to accuse matt of or his dad of like constantly being a cheater but that's definitely how it comes off to me is like it's not cheating you're just not good enough to recognize that i'm using tricks to improve my odds matt definitely seems like the type to self-justify like that Anyway, I wish that could just be my life. <laughs> if only. So the Amarlin and Keeper chide him for being up, and then they send him back to bed, all while making arguments that sound very convincing that he should stay in Tarvalon until he's back to full strength. Matt is the first character I have seen, maybe I'm just forgetting, but the first one to explicitly call out, like, they sure are using a lot of words that mean that they are not making definitive statements, which lets them say a whole lot of stuff when they can't lie. Yeah. Like, everybody else recognizes it, but he's the first one to go back through in his mind and be like, they said those words a lot of times, can't trust him. Yeah, but didn't specifically answer my question. Like, yeah, exactly. Also, Matt is the only character that we've seen to exercise being circumspect. Like, yeah. He's talking to Suwon. And he says, I'm half surprised my dad didn't come looking for me. He's the kind of man he would. He was not sure, but he thought there was a small hesitation before the Amarlin answered. Just like, oh my god, he's not just coming out and saying whatever he's thinking. He's actually kind of smart. Matt is the best. I think all the chapters of Egwene and Elaine being horrifically stupid before this were just to make the contrast better. Before and during, <laughs> there's some interspersed in here, too. So Suan sends Leanne away and then discusses the horn with Matt, letting him know that she chose to keep him alive when she very much didn't need to. After she leaves, Matt can't stop thinking about how he's the rope being pulled between Celine and Suan and how he has to get out of here. It's like, this is a bad spot. And you all mentioned Suan saying that, uh... Matt reminds her of her uncle. Yes. Who? You remind me of my uncle Juan. No one could ever pin him down. He liked to gamble too, and he'd much rather have fun than work. He died pulling children out of a burning house. He wouldn't stop going back as long as there was one left inside. 
Are you like him, Matt? Will you be there when the flames are high? And he says, I'm no hero. I do what I have to do, but I'm no hero. Those are just sort of his arc words. Yeah, I'm no bloody hero is Matt. But also Suwon totally has him pegged. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that's very much him is like actively being a hero while saying he's not a hero. Which brings us to chapter 21, A World of Dreams. Speaking of jumping back and forth between Matt and Egwene. Yeah, I see the first word of the chapter is Egwene, and I'm like, damn it. <clears throat> yeah, uh, she is going from her long hours in the kitchens to see Varen, who subtly let her know, hey, come see me afterwards. When she gets up to Varen's room, it's like a hoarder's room, I guess. I love There's Varen. just stuff everywhere. Yeah, she's great. She's plump. <laughs> she's got an owl or something she likes learning she does like learning did you get it learning knowledge it's almost like she uh, has one definitive character trait she you mean everyone <laughs> so when Egwene gets there we get a lesson on the no pun intended fabric of reality in this series yeah, some high level theology stuff Bion, I want to hear you talk about this. I liked it. Wow! Well, you know me, I like the world building, and I, I I want to know how things work. Yeah. And why it works, and what that means. Yeah. And how do you access that, and how does it relate to all the different ways that they've traveled, like with... Yeah, I think it's really interesting that they are... That the idea is like, okay, so you've got the pattern... And everybody is a thread. So it's weaving this giant pattern of everybody. But then there's the parallel patterns that you can access via the portal stones. But then there's like a crossways pattern that you can only access or that like are beyond what the portal stones can access. And then all of that is wrapped up in the world of dreams, which simultaneously touches everything. And then outside of that exists the creator and the dark one. I definitely envisioned a really weird physics art thing where, um, you know those graphs where it's time, gravity, space, like all, all the, the all, all the Like worlds. an XYZ? A- XYZ, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, those ones. It had that and spheres, but also layers of literal tapestry. The way I was thinking about it was like, Okay, so you've got a string, and the string is made of the tiny fibers, and then you turn that string into a square of cloth that's woven across, and the way that they talk about the Dark One being the same Dark One in all of them is like, he is stopped from touching the square of cloth across every thread of it, not just some, but if he was able to touch any of them, he would be able to touch all of them. See, this sort of high-level stuff, I don't really consider it, like, world-building, because it doesn't, like, affect the moment-to-moment stuff, mostly. Oh, it it almost, it, I don't know, it might come up, like, two more times in the whole series. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So I mean, like, it affects how I perceive it, though, and it, it makes me buy into it more, rather than just being like, it's the pattern, it's willed, the wheel, it turns, wheeling. I'm glad that's important, but for me, this is just sort of the stuff where I just sort of let my suspension of disbelief do all the work, and I don't even really try to understand it. That's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, it it certainly doesn't matter. And you could sit there and try and figure out all of the ways to turn it into a metaphor where it makes sense. But like, I just want to trust him that he is going to use whatever this is in a way that makes his narrative work and I'll just let it happen. Yeah, like the thing about the pattern being going across itself in all of the different layers doesn't matter. <laughs> the Teleran Riyadh stuff matters, and the fact that there is one dark one that is sealed across all reality, so if he is released once, he is released always, is what... Like, those are the two important pieces of information in here. Uh, nothing... The creator and the dark one are both the same universally? Yes. Across but the creator... all universes. Yes, but the creator isn't... Like, they make it very clear that the creator is a being that does not... If the creator is still around, the creator does not interact with anything. The creator is neutral, whereas the dark one is the darkness. Well, the creator is, like, positive in the sense that creation is associated with positivity. But what I'm saying is that, like, whereas the dark one has an active hand in stuff by... I mean, he's sealed, but in theory has an active hand in stuff, the creator does not. Like, even if the creator wasn't quote-unquote sealed, which it slash he isn't, it would choose to not have anything. They talk about sheltering in the palm of the creator's hand, but that's more of like a prayer rather than a literal thing, whereas the Dark One having a hand in stuff is a literal thing that could happen. Yeah, it's also worth noting that Varen explaining this is sort of an interpretation as well. This is sort of just like their version of theology and metaphysics. So, might not even be totally right. It's just... No, this is a third age, a Sedai's understanding of the metaphysics of the world. Which means that it's worthless, basically. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I already covered everything, so I don't have to go over that in the notes. Uh, Teleran Riyadh is the world of dreams. It touches all worlds, reflects them, affects them, they affect it. It's like a separate layer of reality across all reality simultaneously. And this is the true power of the dreamers, which Varen is like, yeah, that other Aes Sedai you've been working with, it's like you might have a dream that's a metaphor for something. She sucks. The power of the dreamers is that you can go into Teleran Riyadh and there's like incredible power in being able to just step into a different plane of reality. Yes. She gives a final warning, and then... And a sick ring. A sick ring! She's like, here, take this ring. If you touch this ring while you're going to sleep, you'll be in Teleran Riyadh. And is like, oh, by the way, stuff in the world of dreams can hurt you. You die in the dream, you die in real life! Yeah, which, I hate to be that person, but I'm gonna be the one that's like, if you were sitting there taking notes and connecting stuff, you would figure this out. We've heard about a different character whose dreams can hurt you because they're real. Oh. oh. Who might show up in a dream sequence in this <gasps> section. Oh no. Who could it be? You know what's bizarre? Hmm. In some of the marketing materials I've read for the Wheel of Time TV show, mm -hmm. they market it as if Moraine is the main character. And I mean, they label Perrin as dreamwalker like that's sort of his hook for his character in the marketing materials 
It's like, Whoa. why wouldn't they go for Wolfie Mac? I know. It's confusing because... Maybe they don't want to look derivative of uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, like, the Wolf Brother stuff is way more front and center in, like, the first couple books than him being in the dreams. That's true. Which yeah, makes the Dreamwalker it, stuff is later. Yeah, which makes it strange that that's how they're labeling him in, like, the marketing materials and stuff. Yeah. yeah anyway, Moraine know. is our main character. We get flashbacks to New Spring, apparently. Great. I can't wait. Hopefully it means we don't have to actually cover it. Uh, so chapter 22, The Price of the Ring, which, by the way, it's removed in, like, the second paragraph of this chapter, but I do really like that it initially starts off with you thinking that they're talking about the one ring, and it's the other ring. But not the one ring, because that's a different ring. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know, that one ring. You know, the one ring. The thing at the place with the stuff. The ring. Uh, like, almost as soon as Egwene walks out the door, there's Sherium, and she's like, Hey, what are you doing here? We need you to take the test. And Egwene's like, right now? And Sherium's like, yeah, Elaine already took it. We're tired. Come on. You're taking this test. And Egwene's like, you're going to make me take my clothes off, aren't you? I have all my spy stuff in my clothes. Yeah. Sherium's like, yeah, it's the White Tower. Why aren't you already naked? <laughs> so they get down to the room where there's the testing. There's some momentary anxiety about Elida being there because Elida's the worst. And then also because... Says, Let her face what she fears. Even in its formality, there was a note of satisfaction in Elida's voice. Oh, God, she sucks so bad, but that's intended, so good job. You'll read more about her being the worst in New Spring. Elida <laughs> um, just reminds me that within misogyny, there's something even worse than guys being awful to women. It's women being awful to women. I'll send you a video later. And perpetuating <laughs> that. What? <laughs> well, sorry. No, no I wasn't I laughing at you. I was laughing at Tyler saying he's going to send you a video about women being awful to women. <laughs> well, no, like... I mean, I, I, I agree with you. That wasn't what I was laughing at. I was laughing at Tyler. I, I also agree with you. What I'm saying is I have watched a video essay that you might be able to stomach that is specifically about this thing in media. It's unfortunate, and I don't like it, but okay. Okay. I'll, I'll attempt it. Okay. Yeah, Elida is the worst, and as I forgot to mention, Egwene, in addition to holding the ring in a pouch, is also holding a bunch of papers about the Black Aja members that left, and she doesn't want to just leave everything there on the floor for Elida to root through while she's in the arches. Um, but Egwene gets over it, and she strips naked and walks into the first arch. Oh, uh, before she goes in, somebody is like, there's something weird going on with the arches, but it's gone now. We're fine. Good luck. Um, it's, it's one of the Aes Sedai whose name starts with A who says that. And then Sherry's like, what is it? I won't put a woman through it. Like something, something like that. Which is like good that Sherry's slightly not awful. Yeah. I like that we call her Sherry now. Congrats. You're Sherry now. Um, and then... I, well, you, you know me, just changing the names. It's me, your boy. It's me, your boy, the name changer. <laughs> um, so the first of Egwene's tests is similar to the last of Nanave's, where it's 
like the happy idyllic life with the one that she wants to be with and so she's in her little i don't know farmhouse with rand and their child Egwene has figured out that both rand and herself can channel in this alternate world and she is trying to do her best to deal with that so that it doesn't kill them as Rand falls to his knees in pain from the headaches caused by him being able to channel, uh, the arch appears, and Egwene tries to argue that she wants to stay, and then ultimately decides to go. Um, I know I kind of sped through that, but that's because I'm going to compare it to Nenev's. Nenev's, I think, is much more impactful, not just because it's the first one that we see, but because she fails the test. Well, I mean, Whereas it, also, Egwene isn't very steadfast in this, even in this first test. Like, Nenave fails her third test, like, for has, hesitating for a second. But Egwene, like, sobs for a bit and says, no, no, this is what I want. Why can't I have this, too? She did not understand her own words, blah, 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 blah. She's, like, blubbering for a bit, but the arch is still there. Yeah, like, I think it's because Nenave sees the arch, understands that she has to go, turns back to get, like, one more second in the hug, and then when she looks back at the arch, the arch is gone. Whereas Egwene is, like, still thinking about the arch. She never chooses to turn away, but that almost makes it... I mean, it makes it better in the sense that she doesn't fail, but it makes it worse in the sense that she doesn't fail because, like, I'm not sold on it hurting her as much not just because all three oh, of the yeah, tests not are even the same close. thing but like i'm not sold on it being as bad for her because she's like i don't want to go but i still do whereas nanave like isn't able to she gives in and then has to fight her way out i saw that the difference is more of just their personalities and their age because Nenev did have a position of power, she's older, whereas Aegy, she's she's basically still, I don't know, 16, 17? Youth. Poor life decisions. Mm-hmm. And um, also, this idea of a farmhouse with Rand and a baby, that's probably something she was raised up to expect as being her life. Mm-hmm. But she also seems kind of sassy, so I'm not sure the extent of which she actually wanted that. And I don't think a 16-year-old necessarily will have the same heartfelt idea regarding having a family and stuff like that as someone who's 20 and older who has more of the I'm an adult thing. Because it seems more real when you're actually closer to that age range as opposed to when you're a teen and you're like, I mean, I guess probably like get married, have a kid. kids, a dog dynamic. That's how I was perceiving it as. Me and my magic husband. Yeah. Basically, exactly this. Um, 74, so if it's 99, so she's 25. So she's our age at this point. Neneve is 25. Neneve at this point, when she goes through that arch, is our age. Don't like... But she's definitely older than Egwene, because Egwene is 17. Yeah. But she's not like some, you know, 30s, 40s mature woman. Yeah. I mean, she's still young and so she still has uh not she doesn't know the whole world yet, but she's more established in what she believes to be right, wrong, what what her role is and what she does. 
So what you're saying is that Nanave is a better character. Hmm. Jesse, help me out. The Tyler, a better are you character. better than your 17-year-old self? I mean, Nanave is just a better character, period. Some might say Nanave is one of the best characters in this series. I mean, Nanave's cool. I just also don't hate Agi. Maybe I'll reach a point where I don't like her. Yeah, don't worry, you will. That's the thing. She most... Where I'm at, I don't hate Egwene. It's just like, eh. Well, she's just like a 17-year-old girl, and it's like, that's part of it. And I, I, I don't... That's true. I don't find her as awful as I might find some of the other characters. Yeah. Elaine. <laughs> ah. Elaine is the worst, actually. She's worse than Egwene. Very privileged. Yes. She needs to check her privilege. Uh, That's her character so, arc. Yeah. Also, there's going to be a great little thing I'm going to point out in the next book about how much she needs to check her privilege. It's like a little side detail you wouldn't notice unless it was pointed out. It's really great. So the next arch... So Egwene goes through the arch, comes out... Um, I think, yeah, it's the next one where she gets the little talking to from Sherry. Um, so she steps out, goes into the next arch, and she is a full Aes Sedai in Camelin, which has been destroyed after a war with the Shadow. Trollocs and Dark Friends prowl the streets looking for something, and Merdral command them to find, quote-unquote, him, I wonder who. Egwene also looks around and finds Rand buried under some rubble. She basically says, like, I could get you out, but all of the Shadow Spawn are going to come kill us. And Rand's like, I could get me out, but all the Shadow Spawn are going to kill us. And also, I'm going to kill us because I'll go crazy if I touch the power again. He also, said, he also informs her that he can be turned. Yes. Yeah, which is kind of the crux of this and then the next thing and is a very important piece of information going forward uh he says hey if there's 13 channelers and 13 merdral together then you can forcibly turn any channeler to the shadow and it's not clear in what capacity he means by forcibly but it is definitely like you are no longer you now serve the shadow period um, so it's time to bad. stab me in the heart. Yeah, so he's like, I need you to mercy kill me, and she refuses uh, multiple times. The arch appears, and she goes back through it. And then, yes, when she steps out, she asks Sherry about it, and Sherry informs her that, A, that's the case, and then B says, but also, forget it, I didn't tell you that. You shouldn't know this. Yeah. And then Egwene freaks out. Mm -hmm. Like, this information has her shook. Well, because 13 people yep. left. Yes. Because 13 people left. The good news is that means if you take one out, you're good. But, yeah, it means that if, like, if they get caught in their search, which they're expecting to because it's 13 full Aes Sedai, then you're done. Worse than done. Worse than done, some might say. The yeah. second one made me want to know more about Aggie's concept of death and the right thing to do. Because mm. in my opinion, even if this isn't real, for this figment created, not mercy killing it is cruel. Yeah, it's sort of well, interesting that her hard decision involves not killing him. 
because she's leaving him to suffer whether or not this alternate concept is real or not she's leaving him to be turned as opposed to hurting her heart a little bit and killing him yeah yeah no i definitely i would say that that was the wrong she sacrifices him for her own comfort yes yeah but i mean i guess that would require the arch appearing to be predicated on you actively doing something rather than it tempting you rather than making sure that you aren't tempted by something else i don't know yeah it's a bit different how it appears i suppose i was just confused as to why the mercy killing would be tempting I mean, because it's "quote unquote" the right thing to do, like from a from a personal out, relationship standpoint. From a personal relationship standpoint, it might not be the right thing to do, but like from a zoomed out perspective, you probably don't want like Satan getting hard control of Jesus. Yeah, like that's because that's what they're talking about it's like the manifestation of evil would gain control of the person who is like the hand of god touching the earth and you probably don't want to do that so like if Egwene put duty above her own wishes then the correct option is to kill rand yeah so i was very confused why she passed this it made no sense to me and i didn't like it yeah well and as not to show my hand for the next chapter but i suspect that all of these are like if not actual alternate worlds then they're more real than not at all i mean all three of these are the exact things that happened in rand's portal stone visions all three of these were eventualities that he mentioned in those visions yeah all hurt no comfort au's great (laughs) i don't want to read that is that how people label that Hurt Comfort? Hurt Comfort, yeah. Yeah. It's a really popular label, and Tyler loves stuff like that. I had no idea. I should read fan fan fiction. Don't don't do it. I can cultivate some for you if you want. Don't let them do this. It's Tyler's fault, though. We already talked about this. He's the one that dragged me into it. Anyway, the last test. The last test is longer and more intricate. Um, Egwene is the Omerlancy. And as she goes to a gathering of the hall, she steadily forgets that she, uh, what she needs to remember about going through the arches and being steadfast. But a voice does keep telling her that the black Asha waits, which is great. Uh, when she arrives, she finds that she is presiding over Rand's trial for being a false dragon and that he needs to be gentled. She hesitates for like one quarter of one second and Elida's like, oh, so what you're saying is you're a traitor. And immediately deposes her. She gets knocked unconscious and restrained. She wakes up in a cell with 13 channelers and 13 Merdral waiting for her. Um, She quickly embraces the power and either kills them or at least harms them enough that they're no longer a threat. uh, And then escapes the dungeon area. And when she... She hmm? tells her keeper that also did you mention that she's the armorlin in this yes i did so she tells her keeper that she's never taken the Aes Sedai oaths yeah hmm so she, she can go buck wild yep 
she's here to cause some problems. Also in this, uh, Egwene seemingly realizes, she says, so Elida is Black Aja. And I'm kind of curious as to whether or not she's just wrong or if this reality is shaped by her subconscious because she did sort of go into this vision like sort of obsessing over the 13 that can turn you and then the vision is immediately about that and also that's just sort of her perception of Elida but from what I know Elida isn't Black Aja <laughs> uh it doesn't really I, I thought she heard Elida in this dream sequence as one of the people talking. No, so there are other people talking, but um, she mentions that Elida is out presiding over the trial. Whereas my thinking would be, if Elida was Black Aja in this vision, she would immediately be like, hey, right now, like, we're turning her. Elida doesn't seem like the type to not do that. So she's just wrong, not that this I mean, reality is being shaped by her... There is a there's a part later in this section where the Wonder Squad is sitting down and basically running through like are all of the Aesidae that we don't like a Black Aja in a very explicit like I think Nenev calls out hey are like are we talking about the people that we don't like being evil and the people that we do like not being evil because that's what it feels like we're all talking about right now so I think Egwene is just seventeen. <laughs> Not in this vision. Not in this vision, but... 17-year-old Omerlin? Yeah, so she gets outside, and she... Long story short, she's like, I gotta save Rand. I might be able to just pick him up with flows of air, and then bring him to me, and we can escape. But it's gonna take a really long time, and people are gonna notice, so that's not actually a workable plan. And she thinks, maybe I should bail fire some people. Oh, I was just going to say a thing that happened before she actually went out. There's, um, when, when, when talking to her keeper, because her keeper's the one that smacks her upside the head to knock her out. Yes. And the keeper's like, but they stilled me. Mm-hmm. You don't understand. And then I think Aggie says something about healing her, and then they go, which is just interesting how um, controlling, controlling people by stilling. But I don't know why somebody controlled by stilling would... If they've already taken the whole thing, that's the crux of your existence. What point is there to do anything for them? Uh, because they said that they can give it back. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess she's not still she's shielded, maybe? Maybe. Who knows? The powers of the dark are mysterious. But yeah, uh, sort of the crux of a lot of the Aes Sedai stories is that all of the Aes Sedai treat stilling as a fate worse than death. And you have to sort of buy that they believe that in order for a lot of the decisions they make to make any sense. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, like, stuff where an Aes Sedai will do something. Is like, I can't tell anyone about this or else I'll be stilled. And that's sort of the Is it a magic lobotomy? No, it just means that you can't touch the source anymore. And the so source like you is are awesome. A- yeah, like, you are aware that it is there, but you can't ever do anything with it. It's very much... Because remember, every time they touch the source, mm-hmm. it, they're like, this is the best. Like, everything is brighter, sounds are better, feelings are better. It, like, everything is cranked up. And then, so they can still see it if they're stilled, but they can't touch it. And so, it's very much one of those things. Sort of? I mean, yes, but not... 
Not in the sense that, like, like they caution novices and accepted against doing that. They're like, you have to keep yourself from getting addicted to it because it will, like, that will also kill you if you are just constantly using it. I don't know how to describe it to you. Ace and I confuse me. We can continue. Thank you. Okay. It is a fate worse than death. It is, like, pretty much a 100% suicide rate for anybody that is cut off from the source. Is it like in Green Naruto, Boku no Hero, um, where with the uh, corkless causing drug where it takes people's corks away? No, because those people keep going on. Like, people are surprised that Loghain hasn't killed himself yet. That's what he says, is that there aren't people watching him in case he escapes. There are people watching him because they want to keep him alive, and they're worried he's going to, like, find a knife and immediately kill himself on the spot. Mm. And, yeah, there are characters later on in the books who get still the Orgentled who are like, as soon as they realize what's happened, they're like, okay, I have to have a goal to devote my life to, because otherwise I will be too directionless and I will kill myself very quickly. It's on that level of they they just can't yeah like jesse said you have to trust them when they say it's a fate worse than death and just roll with that as a factor in the world okay anyways the archway appears archway yes the archway appears Egwene goes through it by rand by rand and chapter 23 sealed uh she steps out of the final arch She's not crying and shaking like she was before. Like, this one I actually like, because she steps out and she's just mad. She says, Is that all there is for me? She demanded. To abandon him again and again? To betray him, fail him again and again? Is that what there is for me? Like, that works much better for me as an Egwene trait than her being sad about it is, like, her just being angry. Because that's something we've seen before. When she's forced into doing something, like with uh, when she was collared by the Shanchan, like her immediate instinct as soon as she's out is just to get mad. Yeah, we've never really seen Egwene like break down. We've seen Nanave even sort of break down, sobbing and stuff like that, but Egwene just doesn't do that ever. No, I mean, the closest she does is after coming out of the first two arches. She's like weeping, but everybody does that apparently. So, it turns out that whatever was causing her to forget the words she was supposed to remember and to hear about the Black Aja wasn't part of the test. Something was just super wrong with the Tur Angril. But nevertheless, she passed and she's raised to accepted. It's all but said in this section that the reason the Tur Angril arches were having an issue was the Stone Ring Tur Angril interacting, which, if... The stone ring touches Teleran Riyad, and the Tur Angriel are touching something that creates similar visions to the portal stones, then what it sounds like to me is that every time somebody goes through one of those arches, it's a real alternate reality. Yeah. And not like a figment of their imagination. Yeah. I like this little detail. We don't know a ton about these Tur Angriels, but we know enough to make it feel like something that makes sense, and I can just trust it and go with it. Yeah. Ben, you look like you're thinking. Thinking emoji. Um, I was just thinking on the reality things, because if all of those realities are real, 
and Aes in those realities also go through their three arches of suffering. Assuming that those three arches of suffering still exist in their realities. Yes, yes, but to t- which which one is the most real, and are we supposed to assume that this world is the most real? The portal stones say that this is prime reality. But has it always been prime reality, or is it prime reality for this iteration of the wheel turning? Hmm. Because with the past memories of Matt coming up and stuff like that, it's just making me wonder about souls and transfer of memories. Well, the past memories like are all that. still from the same prime reality. Okay. Yeah, they're just like back when Menatherin existed and such. So he's getting like one to two to two and a half thousand year old memories. Have the three boys always been interconnected each iteration? That's a fascinating question. Let's talk about that 11 books from now. (laughs) Thanks. I love the anticipation. I mean, I keep alluding to a talk, a TED talk I'm going to give at the end of this series and like you're brushing up against it. It can be your own solo episode. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to record the solo episode. You two go back and listen to it. So there's a very drawn out section in here where Egwene is learning about the Green Aja and the Green Aja are punks. <laughs> like she's this Aesodai is so self-important about like, oh, we sit and we watch and we wait in case the Trollocs come south again. But like Trollocs haven't been south for like a thousand years, dog. <laughs> So what you're saying is you all just kind of sit around and do nothing. Nah, they get the guys and they love them. They're, I guess they're so. the horny ones. Yeah, really. They're the polycule, Aja. The green sister who was present insists that she be punished for allowing the test to go on. And Elida continues to be the worst. She's like, you're too wild. Yeah, she's like, I don't like you. You're too wild. You're bad. You're bad and you should feel bad. This green You're sister, bad. Alana, at this point, I'm very primed to hate her. Where I'm oh, at really? in my book. <laughs> ah! Oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, uh, Elida is definitely doing the... Uh, I'm trying to pull it up. The Dr. Phil gif, where it's like, I'm done, you're dead to me, I'm disowning you, cutting all ties, <laughs> goodbye forever. <laughs> God, she's just the worst. It's It definitely is nice to be like, oh, a letter just sucks. Like, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about maybe she has nuance. She's just bad. But who knows if she's evil? I guess we'll find out. Uh, Egwene makes it back to her room. Nenev and Elaine are there. We're both having issues after the collective stresses of the night. Elaine is, like, talking about what she did wrong and Egwene is too and the knave is like sympathy crying and then says that don't worry we'll make the Aes I pay that's a wolf yeah good well, luck with that knave. It's, it's very in character for knave. chapter 24 scouting and discoveries also known as the chapter the chapter I literally have in my notes capital T capital S the scene <laughs> god it's stupid it's so... I love it. Bjorn, I'm gonna need to hear your thoughts during this chapter. Uh. Matt wakes up the next morning. He's still very much into eating food for five <laughs> people. 
instead of going back to bed like he's expected to, he's like, let's get dressed. Let's take a walk. Uh, he wants to get the lay of the land and try and figure out how to leave Tarvalin. Sadly, everyone that works for or adjacent to the tower has been given his description and been told, do not let him out. Uh, like, he's allowed out of the tower itself, but not out of Tarvalin. And when he runs into Elsie Grinwell, she's like, Bye. Why aren't you in bed? <laughs> you suck. Which. Matt, please return to bed. Yeah. You need to use your call light. I'm impressed that she was able to ask him those questions when her mouth is full of pigtails. <laughs> uh. She will never escape it. <laughs> If she didn't want to be known as the pigtail chewer, she shouldn't have chewed on her pigtails. In that one scene. In that one scene. That one time. Uh, So anyway, Matt keeps walking around, and after having struck out twice, he's like, well, I hear some sticks hitting each other. Let's go (laughs) see Gowan and Gowan. No pun intended. Uh, They're sparring, and there's a group of Aes Sedai and Accepted watching them. Uh, Matt sits down to watch for a minute, and they go and talk to him. Um, he makes a comment about being quite a hand with the quarterstaff, and then we get the scene. I'll wager two silver marks to two from each of you, that I can beat both of you at once. Wild stuff. With, yeah. Beyond? Any thoughts? It's just nonsense. <laughs> just yeah. such nonsense. Yeah, basically. Also, I, I forgot what Rand's insignia thing is, because with uh, Matt, we get the five dice on the, the, the beginning of chapters, and with Perrin, we get the wolf, right? Yeah. Uh, Rand's is the dragon. Rand's is, okay. So we got a dragon, a wolf, and we got Gambler McDice Boy. Yeah. Because yeah, he's, he's very lucky. He's very lucky. He is unbelievably lucky. Well, I mean... Matt is pulling full-on protagonist in this scene. That's what happens. I mean, I'm more inclined to believe that this is, like, magical Tavarin luck before Before he fights, he says, luck, time to toss the dice, in the old tongue. Yeah. Which is magic. Which, well, it's not like, it's not magic like Aragon speaking in the old tongue is magic. But yes, it is very, like, arcane. Yeah. And maybe he only wins because he had money on it. Maybe. I mean, that does kind of sound like... Actually, I can't tell if you got a spoiler or not, but that is probably the answer. <laughs> Knowing what I know. Like, the answer is probably that he wins because he had money on it and for no other reason. Um, I would also say I think it is continually interesting how... In Matt's perspective, you don't notice, but whenever other characters see Matt, he will sometimes just start talking in the old tongue. And that's, I don't know. I like that he doesn't notice until somebody points out to him that he just did it. Yeah, he does it all the time. Point is, the fight begins. Matt just wipes the floor with them. Oh my god. And gives Gawain the... The concussion. (laughs) The concussion. (laughs) The big concussion. (laughs) So when when I was reading, when Uh I, like the first time through, when I finished The Eye of the World, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly when, but essentially Tyler told me, oh man, just wait until you get to the scene where Matt uh, wakes up from a coma in the White Tower and beats up a bunch of warders, is how he described it. And yeah. I had a bunch of very wrong expectations about what the scene was going to be. I thought it was going to be sort of like a, uh, he beats up a bunch of warders while in a trance state, sort of like River Tam style. Uh, no, he's just cocky. Yeah, and that would have made more sense to me. <laughs> this is absurd. Two things this chapter made me wonder. One is, where 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 does the White Tower get their money from so they can afford to feed people like this? Don't worry about it. And then secondly, <laughs> why would the Green Aja want a person who was so badly beaten? Because they're still, like... A, Gallant is super hot. B, they still... The, as badly as Matt beats them, Gallant and Gawain beat everyone else that badly. Uh, yeah, okay. like they are, they are both, if not currently, then like approaching Blade Master levels, which is unfortunate that some gambler can just roll on in with a stick. <laughs> hey, who was the greatest swordsman of all time? He fought over ten thousand battles. He lost once to a farmer with a quarterstaff. Don't forget it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- th- those are the two questions that came up for me. How do they keep feeding? Where's the money coming from? Don't worry. Money trails matter, honey. Don't think about it. Corruption. The answer is probably that they, that like the Aesidae themselves are from a bunch of different places. So they're going to want comforts from home, which means from everywhere. They sit in the middle of this river that runs through the center of the landmass. Everybody pays them tribute, basically, because they have all of this political power. And so you can just sell stuff back. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean. Also, just don't Gala think about it. Also, just don't think about it. What? I said, is Galad a himbo? No. Galad. I don't know. I, I kind of like Galad the more that I read about him. <laughs> like, Gowan's a garbage boy. But Galad, I think. Galad is like hard, lawful good. He's not a. He's not dumb. He just is very much like. This That's is the, the right thing. Yeah. Well, like I don't know, because there are times where he's very much not. Them's the rules. There's times where he's like, this is the right thing to do. It's just that when he he often believes that the right thing to do and the rules are the same thing, and when he believes that he knows the right thing to do, then he just doesn't agree with discussing any other options. So he's a golden boy. He. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing that everybody hates about him. Like, everybody in World and people that don't like him, that's what they hate about him, is that he's a perfect golden boy that doesn't compromise. And is Gawain the one that's crushing on Aegy? They both are. They are both crushing on Aegy. They are both crushing on Aegy. Gawain is the one that is Elaine's, like, actual brother, Mm -hmm. like, full brother, and is like, hey, I'm chill. Gallant's not. And Gallant's like, I'm not chill. Gawain is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As I said, I remember, the way I remember is that Galad is an absolute lad. It's also worth keeping in mind, like, whose perspective you're getting information from. Because, mm-hmm. like, Elaine's perspective of Galad is always going to be the absolute worst. Mm. Like, she hates him. So anytime you get a piece of information from her, 
or secondhand from her, passed through somebody else's perspective, it's going to make Gallup look as bad as possible. Okay. Uh, There's also a funny moment at the end where Mm -hmm. both Galad and Matt are, like, laying on the floor, wounded, and, like, Uh Matt sees all the Aes Sedai, like, rushing over, and he, like, raises a hand to get helped up, and they all, like, run past him to go to Galad. No, one of them looks back at him, and he's like, she's plump, she's cute, and then she, like, shoots him a death stare, and then turns back to Galad, and he's like, oh, never mind. Don't let them see I'm hungry. Yeah. They can't see how hungry I am. <laughs> Fine, I'm gonna eat for six people. Uh, yeah, Matt, who would win Farmer just out of a sick bed where he should have died multiple times or two nearly fully trained warders? He gets asked where he's from and reflexively answers Minetherin, and then is like, uh, never mind, two rivers. Anyway, gotta go, <laughs> and runs away. And now there's nothing interesting for the rest of the section. Yep, let's move on through it. Chapter 25, Questions. The Wonder Squad is in the Knave's room, thinking about the info they've been given on the Black Aja they're supposed to hunt. Uh, But first we review some info from Egwene's dreams. Bad dream times. Bad dream time. Yeah, we read some dossiers. Yeah. Uh, Rand is holding a crystal sword, which, hey, did you pick up on... Has there been any imagery like this yet? I I wonder where we're all supposed to go. I wonder if you're prepared for the rest of the book to keep having this imagery and acting like it's supposed to be a mystery, what's going to happen. What could possibly happen? Um, There's him crouched in a large chamber with dragons alighting on his arm and entering his skin. Daddy of dragons. Uh, Walking into a hole in a black mountain. And confronting Shanchan, not the Shanchan or some Shanchan, but like the country, is how I took it. She had a dream about Perrin with a hawk on one shoulder and a falcon on the other. Both are female, but the hawk is trying to put a leash on his neck. Is this supposed to be some sort of joke about the old ball on chain of marriage? Uh, yes, but not in the way that you think. We'll get to it. (laughs) We'll get to it. Very much so. Uh, And then Matt placing his left eye on a balance scale hanging by the neck from a tree and him among the Shanshan. This whole section is a huge argument that we're just going to kind of move right through about whether any info they've been given is useful in any way for their hunt and trying to figure out if anyone they know in the Black Tower, or I'm sorry, in the White Tower is Black Aja based purely on how helpful and nice they are or aren't, which is great. It's a crack investigative team. Yeah, they're like, I don't like this person. They're probably Black Aja, until Neneve is like, wait. We're being really petty. Yeah, what are we doing? (laughs) They decide to use the stone ring that night to see what's up with Talleyrand Riyadh, and then they get a knock at the door. It's Braid Chewer, (laughs) and she is here to deliver a message that some of Leandrin's and the other Black Aja's things have been moved to a storeroom in the tower basement. Egwene goes chasing after her, and instead finds someone who, hey, it's Lanfear, who tells Egwene to turn around and leave, and then Egwene turns around, leaves, and then by the time that she realizes what she's doing, she looks back, and Lanfear is just gone. Chapter 26, Behind a Lock. Egwene is unable to find either of the women she's looking for, 
so uh, Elena and Nave show up and they're like, let's just head to the storeroom to check on the stuff. Um, they head down. Egwene repeatedly demonstrates her lowercase t talent with the power, uh, including being able to effortlessly prepare two weaves at the same time, which it's not mentioned until New Spring. But in New Spring, Moraine basically says like, hey, the more weaves that you are trying to prepare simultaneously, they're like exponentially harder. And the strongest Aes Sedai can like maybe do four if they are four very easy weaves. So the fact that Egwene is like sub, not subconsciously, but like she doesn't even realize that she's making two at once is retroactively supposed to be like, hey, she's pretty strong. Meanwhile, Nanae throws a temper tantrum at a mundane lock. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to hit this with a stick. I hate it. Yeah, Egwene turns a heavy iron chain into, like, rice paper. And Nenave hits it with a stick and it turns into dust. Uh, they start to go through the belongings of the Black Aja women, and they all find clues that point to Tyr, which... Like, very obvious clues. Very obvious clues, but it starts off with, like, three or four of them finding stuff from Tyr. And they're like, there's no relation between these items. <laughs> like, they have to find all 13 before they're like, I wonder if they're in tier? Uh, so they decide that either all of the women that they're chasing are idiots, or it's an extremely obvious trap. Or and we're idiots. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Am I dumb? But please be. Why male, why male models? <laughs> Elaine needs one of those hats that says, please be patient, I'm doing my best. Yeah, Nenev's like, the best way to make sure that whether or not it's a trap is to go there and spring the trap and then hope that we don't get caught while doing it. Yeah, at a certain point, you just can't keep next leveling yourself and asking, do they anticipate I think this? You just sort of gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, exactly. Uh they decide that regardless of which one it is, they still need to go into Teleran Riyadh that night. And so they decide that, hey, that's the plan. We should learn more. Tell her too many apostrophes. Jesse sent me a text that included the word Teleran Riyadh and also included the phrase, I'm not doing the apostrophes. Yeah, never. Never will. <laughs> well, I did. Everywhere in my notes, it's apostrophed and capitalized correctly. If I'm typing on a real keyboard, tarantula. I'll, I'll do. The, <laughs> if I'm typing Don't. on a real keyboard, I'll do the apostrophes, but not on my phone. Fair enough. They're uh, gonna go to a tarantula. Yeah. So chapter twenty-seven, tarantula. Uh, Egwene insists on tarantula. Tarantula. Egwene insists on going to sleep alone. She kiboshes all the other combinations um, with both Elaine and Nanave keeping guard over her. When she enters Terrantula, <laughs> she quickly discovers that the ability to change things based on her thoughts exists uh, by changing her clothes, and then confirms that she can infect still channel. Um, she thinks about going somewhere more relevant than a meadow filled with butterflies, <laughs> uh, and she's in an inn, and she opens a door, and there's Perrin with a wolf in between them, and Perrin is chained to a stone column in the middle of the room. Seems fine. Yeah. Uh, the wolf gets up to attack her, and she teleports away. Now she's in a forest, 
where Rand is there going crazy. Rand is having a bad time. Yeah. This whole book is Rand having a bad time. Yeah, he's like, Dark One, I know you've sent people wearing the faces of my other loved ones after me, so now you're doing Egwene too? Fine. And he creates the Sword of Fire and tries to attack her, and she teleports away. She's really killing all this uh, World of Dream stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag killing it. Um, she's taken to a massive room filled with redstone columns and a crystal sword. A crystal sword? In a Where? massive room with redstone columns? <laughs> that... Say it ain't. Wow. Man. <laughs> Got tired of that real quick, huh? <laughs> We're only, what, like a third of the way through this book? So, a woman calling herself Sylvie waits there for her and really sounds like Egwene is someone else, and in fact, really sounds like Egwene is accidentally posing as one of the Forsaken. Sylvie is... That's That was definitely my read on it. Like, I legitimately don't remember what the correct answer is, but I can't imagine anything else, because Sylvie talks about, like, like, who else would it be, right? One of the Black Aja, maybe? Mm-hmm. But, but like, I don't know. There sure is a woman among the Forsaken who has long black hair and white skin and is wearing, like, pale white skin and is wearing, um, oh. which I guess Egwene well, isn't necessarily, but is wearing, like, silver type stuff, which I think is what Egwene says she turns her dress into. When I click on Sylvie's link on the wiki, it takes me to Lanfear's page, so. Okay. I'll, I'll buy cool. it. Also, because you can look like anything in the world of dreams. Spoilers. So, like, probably just Sylvie was sitting there waiting for Mistress Lanfear, and Egwene showed up, and she's like, sick. I know who you are. We've met before. Uh, so Sylvie's there. She spouts off some exposition in case you didn't pick up on it. Um, and the important thing to note here is that the reason that nobody can touch the sword is because it is woven. The protection is woven of both uh, Sadar and Sidine. And so like you could get through one half, but because it's reinforced in layers with both, Nobody can see both to know how to get through it. If only gender wasn't binary. <laughs> if only gen- Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, supposedly, I mean, it must be, like, keyed to Rand's thread in the pattern or something. Because there's no other way that it could possibly work, right? They can't have keyed it to, like, his future DNA. Not important. Uh, Sylvie says that a he is approaching, and that Egwene needs to go. And Egwene's like, cool, I'm gonna teleport away. Okay, now. Okay, now. And Sylvie's like, okay, cool. And then hits her with something that hurts uh, extremely deeply, and Egwene wakes up, crying and shaking. I'm crying and shaking right now. She's like, I'm literally crying and shaking right now. Uh, So when she wakes up, she gives a recap to the squad, and they make plans to leave the following day, unless the Amralin gives them a reason not to. But we gotta send a letter. We gotta send a letter, and I know just the guy for the job. 
somebody trying to get out of Tarvalin who could really use a sheet of paper that says he's allowed to leave Tarvalin. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder who it could be. It's almost like I specifically split the chapters we're reading so that we start off with a Matt chapter as many times as possible. Get, up, get started Matt on the right Matt. foot. Yeah. So, that was it. We got the first Matt chapters, and we are, like, poised to get to... I don't know. I don't remember any other slow parts of this book. Because once the Wonder Squad is out of the tower, they're good. I think Perrin's story for the rest of the book is good, and I think Matt's story is pretty good. Yeah. We've passed the rough part of this book, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. We should be good to go, as they say. Yeah, we're back in action. Yes. Yeah, that does it for this section. Um, Next week, we are going to read some chapters that I don't have pulled up right now. But we're back on the weekly schedule. But we're back on the weekly schedule. Woo! And that's what's really important. I know you've all missed us. Yeah. I kind of missed us. Almost. Sometimes. When I wasn't dying of... Too much stuff to do. Yeah, me too. Uh, Next week we're reading chapters 28 to 36. (laughs) Pulled it up. Thanks for stalling for time for me. Um, Yeah. Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter, at Wheel Reading, which will be in the description, as always. Uh, If you missed us, let us know. Anytime you tweet at us or leave a review on any of your services, we love hearing from anyone who listens to the podcast. So feel free to reach out and we're back. So don't be shy. Please contact us. We like it. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, this has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Bjorn. Whoa. And I'm Jesse. What was that? Okay. You know, just some perky enthusiasm for the end. I think it's time to go. I, I, I think we're done here. <laughs> bye. Bye. Jesse didn't say bye for himself, who he was. He just did. He did? Okay. Bye. <laughs>